My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Back around 1970, old Victor Ferryman, a rather shady entrepreneur around these parts, got an idea. He decided to stage an entertainment hearkening back to the good old 19th century. What was it? Well, I'll tell you folks, he got it into his head to put on a what you call bull and bear fight. That's right, a fight between a bull and a bear. Now, such was totally illegal even 50 years ago, but that was never a particular issue for him, especially if there were dollar signs involved. I mean, he'd engaged in plenty of other extra-legal enterprises, such as the bumper stickers allegedly signed by Vice President Spiro T. Agnew, but actually autographed by Vic's wife, Constance. And then there was the discount gasoline sucked out of a tank at the Marathon Station, not to mention the hair growth tonic, the counterfeit green stamps, and the hangover cure. That last, by the way, was just the hair growth tonic in a different bottle. But he reckoned a battle betwixt bull and bear? That'd pull in some real cash. So he got himself a mangy Ursus Arctos, that's a brown bear, from, well, I think it was from the Seal Family Circus. They'd build it as a dancing bear, but discovered the animal had two left feet, so they couldn't unload it fast enough. And the bull, well, let's just say that someone in the dead of night appropriated a male angus from Red Dieter's corral. And poor Red, well, he never forgot it, no, and he seethed over it even on his deathbed some twelve years later, though he never could pin it on Vic. Anyway, Vic roped off the dirt floor of his barn with the attendees, all two hundred of them, squeezed in along the sides at five dollars a head, well, the folks were plenty rowdy, pumping their fists and screaming for blood. Tear into that bull, gore that bear, that's what they were shouting. Trouble was, both animals judged the loud animated behavior all around them to be the biggest threat to their safety and went for the humans instead of each other. So there was blood all right, but it was the audience that supplied it. Vic himself lost his left hand in the melee and I believe did two years in county. When he emerged from prison, he and his former cellmate went into the used parts business. Whatever make or model your car was, he'd have that part for you in 24 hours, long as he accepted it, no questions asked. So what's the point of this tale? That behemoth battles are still in vogue, as evidenced by the new motion picture entitled Godzilla vs. Kong, which is, of course, what I'm here to review. Now, this Godzilla vs. Kong, it's a story about... Well, what do you think it's about? It's not about the New York Philharmonic. Although, wouldn't that be something? You go to a film called Godzilla vs. Kong, and it's all about a symphonic orchestra? Boy, the youngins would be up in arms about that, I can tell you. But no worries, that's not what it's about. It's about Godzilla fighting King Kong, an idea that makes the term high concept seem almost quaint. But that's what we're dealing with. And the plot? Well, I could summarize the plot for you, you know, explain how even though he was a good guy in the first two movies, Godzilla's suddenly the enemy, that he's attacking Florida because, well, there's probably a lot of reasons to do that, but he apparently has his own motivations, and how this professor and a lady scientist and a little girl who's deaf use Kong to lead them to the center of the hollow earth so this industrialist, who may be as shady as old Vic Ferryman, can find a new power source that exists only there. And I could tell you about the big robot Godzilla, or excuse me, Mecha Godzilla, who's 
controlled telepathically and then isn't, and how this big monster fight levels half of Hong Kong. Sure, I could tell you about all that stuff. I could, but I won't. Because, folks, it's all really stupid. Stupid and then numb and after that stupid again, you hear? There's something provoking him that we're not seeing here. I'll tell you what the burr, what's the burr under my saddle. You can throw one or two ridiculous ideas into the mix and still come out shining, but this plot is so chock full of them, well, it's about as cogent as a five-year-old's fever dream. See, there's a difference between the thrill of a runaway imagination and signs of incipient madness, and this script leans toward the latter. I'm of the same opinion. I knew you would be. Now, the Japanese, with their what you call kaiju movies, they could get away with it. When you're making a film about people in rubber suits, you expect bad dialogue and a worse plot. Heck, you'd probably be disappointed if it were any good. But you know what the problem here is? It's Godzilla. Boy, you really threw him under the bus. No, he's not the problem, not specifically. He and Kong are viable creatures. The problem is what they did with him. Sure, the special effects are impressive, and our two monsters can certainly take a bow for that. Kong bows to no one. But I just meant... Oh, never mind. Anyway, the monsters look great, but if you're blowing $160 million on state-of-the-art technology, maybe that's your chance to reinvent the genre. Make it scary or funny or serious, but make it different. But you're asking to take my money to see a film that borders on camp? We have to take it. Have to or want to. As for the performances, they're good enough for what's called upon. Millie Bobby Brown is appropriately plucky as the young girl bent on learning what's eating Kong. She was carried over from the last film, Godzilla King of the Monsters, so I guess for some reason she's become a staple of these movies. She had nowhere to go, so... Why, doesn't she work for Netflix? Interestingly, Kyle Chandler, who plays her father, had a previous encounter with Kong some years back, having appeared in Peter Jackson's 2005 remake of King Kong. Doesn't have much to do in this one, though, but I will say that Brian Tyree Henry is amusingly manic as a conspiracy nut podcaster who just might be onto something. Demian Bashir lathers on the oily charm as the head of Apex Cybernetics, the company that may be messing with the big lizard, while little Kaylee Hoddle is effective as the last living native of Kong's Island home. Meanwhile, Alexander Skarsgård as a hollow earth believer and Rebecca Hall as a scientist who studies Kong are good enough at their acting chores. In real life, Miss Hoddle, like her character in the movie, is deaf, and in the film she communicates with Kong via sign language. In fact, I believe at one point she signed, Call my agent and get me out of here. Kong did the same. So I guess they were of a similar mind. Less cruel than a bull and bear fight, but about as culturally nourishing. See Godzilla vs. Kong if you were a fan of the last three movies in the series. But don't if your favorite film of the season was French Exit. And that's my advice. Yes, sir. Next week, I'll be reviewing the film Minari, about Korean immigrants taking up the best vocation in the world. Farming, here in the good old U.S. of A. Play me out, Zeke. <laughs>